So folks, let me suggest to you one, there are many, just one way in which we could do what we just resolved to do. One specific, precise area of our lives in which we could bring more glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's this. Don't be slow to pay what you owe. I made it rhyme so that we could memorize it. Let's give it a shot. Uh, say it with me. Don't be slow to pay what I owe. Let's do it one more time. I don't want to be slow to pay what I owe. Now, I got this from uh, two verses of Scripture in the book we've been studying for quite some time, Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter 3. Very practical passage tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, just two verses, 27 and 28. You could find your way there and allow me to read it to you. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So what is this passage really saying? I think it's this. It's simple. Fulfill your obligations to those who you are obligated to. So for instance, if you have hired someone to perform a service, clean your home, mow your lawn, work for you in some fashion, this text says quite clearly and simply, you have an obligation to pay what is due that person as quickly as possible and without any hesitation or delay. The idea is reflected in many passages of Scripture. Here's a sample, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. It says, you shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. By the way, neighbor may be the person you're living next to, but the word actually means whoever you are near to. That's your neighbor. Don't oppress this one. Don't rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Why not? Because the hired man needs his wage right away so that he could provide for his family's needs. And if you withhold the wage, you tell him, I'll give it to you tomorrow. Well, then his needs will go unmet. So this is simply uh, the principle of timely payment of obligations. Be Timely, I think this text is saying, in repaying your debts. So don't put off debts with excuses, flimsy excuses, the design of which is ultimately to try to avoid meeting financial obligations. Now, folks, Proverbs is the book of wisdom, practical guidelines in living life more wisely. And here is a very precise word of wisdom. It's this. A wise person ought to be burdened by his debts until he satisfies them as soon as he can. Now, it's best not to incur indebtedness. But if that's already happened, the next obligation is to rid oneself of indebtedness just as soon as possible. Do you see the little word those in verse 27? Those do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. 
In Hebrew, it means master or owner. Think about this. If you have a financial obligation to someone, that one has mastery over you until you find release by satisfying your debt. In essence, the money which you possess, but which belongs to the other, is owned by that other. You're just a steward of it. So you're actually withholding something that belongs to another. This says... Pay back your master or owner and free yourself from that person's mastery. So who then might be the rightful owners of our money? Here's a sampling. A person we borrow money from is our master and has ownership of our money until we pay it back. A bank or any other financial institution we borrowed money from. Uh, Someone whose property we borrowed. A credit card. This is a killer. A credit card company. Uh, Someone we hired to do a job. And you may not like this, but it's true. The government to whom we owe taxes, legitimately owe taxes to, is our master and owner until we fulfill our tax obligation and pay it to the government. So if we owe someone That person is the master or owner of our money until we pay that person back everything that we owe. So we're, in essence, in this text told that it's a very sinful thing to tell the owner of our money, we'll pay him back, you know, tomorrow or the next day or some other time when we have the wherewithal to satisfy the debt today, right away. So take a look again at verse 28. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. So to wait out a creditor, because we don't want to part with our money, that's called sin. That does not bring glory to God. If we have the money, we need to pay it to the person we owe just as quickly as we possibly can. Now, why is this principle here? Um, If you're asking that question, you probably make the mistake a lot of us do. And that is you compartmentalize the sacred and the secular. So a lot of us, even as Christians, this is wrong, but it's true. We we think what's sacred is coming to church and praying and going on missions and reading the Bible and all the rest, and you're right. And then we think everything else is secular. So what I do in a sacred environment is one thing but it need not have any carryover with regard to what I do in the secular environment. So that's a real misunderstanding of the Christian life. The Christian life is all-encompassing. We do not come to worship. We live worshipful lives. It's a lifestyle. We don't do certain things on Sunday and things absolutely contrary to it on Monday. If we do that, we're not going to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ in 2016. So this very practical principle of financial management is in here because everything we do for the glory of God has a very, very sacred character. Now, why is this specific principle so clearly stated? This notion of paying your bills on time, paying your debts. It's because If we don't, it affects 
people's perceptions of us as Christians. They start finding out Christians cannot be trusted. And if Christians cannot be trusted with regard to satisfying our financial obligations, why should people entrust anything to us, even an opportunity for us to share the gospel with them? We represent the Lord Jesus Christ for good or for ill. And when we're delinquent in paying our bills, when we drag our feet, it detracts from the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So to pay our debts responsibly and in a timely way brings honor and glory to God. It lets people know Christians can be trusted. When we do not pay our debts in a timely and responsible way, great shame is brought on God's name. So here are some sad examples of that very violation committed by folks who ought to know better, Christians who should have paid their debts on time. I went on an internet hunt. Uh, I forgot what I used to search for this. I think I put down, uh, are Christians financially reliable? Or, I don't know what I put. And all kinds of stuff came up. So I want to share with you some direct quotes offered by people who did business with Christians but who are reluctant to, to do it again. So listen to this. Someone said, I don't know about you, but over the last few years, I've had some bad experiences with Christians in the business world. This may get me in hot water, but I've come to the point where I would rather do business with non-believers than with believers. I've been burned one too many times. <gasps> That's not good. Listen to this one. My wife used to work in a music store and Christians would come in and expect a better deal on equipment or even to have the equipment given to them because they said it was for the Lord. Over time, it had a pretty negative impact on the store owner who was not a believer. Not good. Not, that's a misrepresentation of a faithful, gracious, giving God. Listen to this. Someone wrote, my experience as a professional photographer and journalist by profession was getting presumed upon by too many of my fellow Christians into doing free wedding photography, family reunions, graduations, and charitable brochures. Free for them, but costly for me, as I had travel costs that were not reimbursed, film and processing costs, and of course the time involved away from paying jobs. One Christian taking advantage of another. The story is told of a preacher whose car needed some repair. He drove it to a, a mechanic, said to the mechanic, hey, I hope you can help me out and give me a good break on the repair here. I'm just a poor preacher. And the mechanic said, yeah, I know. I heard you on Sunday. <laughs> you mean, see, that's, that's not what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. No, no, no. We're supposed to pay what we're obligated to pay. Listen to this. Someone wrote, in my hometown, Christian business owners are notoriously unreliable. So much so that I met an assistant pastor of a large church in the area who refuses to have any dealings with businesses and service providers who advertise themselves as Christian. In our area, unbelievers have generally shown themselves to be better at keeping a contract. 
Can you see it's not about money and contracts, is it? It's about winning the opportunity with credibility to share the life-changing message of Jesus Christ with people. Now, why would they entrust their time, ears, and interest to us if we have proven ourselves to be untrustworthy and unfaithful when it comes to something as simple as handling our money and our financial obligations properly? This text certainly applies to monetary obligations, but it also, by application, applies to general obligations. For instance, when you or I have made a commitment to do something, we ought to do what we promised to do. <laughs> words ought to mean Our words ought to mean something. I commit to serve. Well, then fulfill the commitment. You can't get in and get out so, so haphazardly and expect that people are going to attach credibility to your words. So when you or I give our word to somebody, how about this one? I'll call you on Monday. Don't say it unless you intend to do it. This is unacceptable behavior. Hey, I will pray for you. You know, I want to tell you something. I've almost stopped saying that, lest after I say it to someone, I forget to do so and don't follow through. I just, well, I lied. I told the person I'm going to do something. I'm not, a better thing to do is to say, can I pray for you now? That way you satisfy the obligation. These are important kinds of things. Keeping one's word. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 5 says, it's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Not pay. We shouldn't tell someone, I'll call you on Wednesday unless we're intending to call them on Wednesday. I'll serve in the children's ministry unless we're intending to serve in the children's ministry. I'll, I'll have you over for dinner shouldn't make any of those vows. Once we do, do you know that person is owed fulfillment of the vow? That person, in essence, has mastery over us until we pay back the vow. Therefore, if you don't want to create that kind of imbalance in the relationship, don't make promises you don't intend to keep. Words are... Why is this important? Because everything we do reflects on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why should people attach credibility to his authoritative word if we, his representatives, speak our words frivolously and without intent on following through on them? So earlier I mentioned people, banks and so on, institutions to whom we uh, may owe a financial obligation and who are therefore the rightful owners of our money. But I left someone out. Um, I left out God himself. Isn't he, if you think about it, the rightful owner of all we possess? What do you or I have that hasn't been, uh, by his grace, given to us? What is it? Isn't he the ultimate one to whom we owe this, this debt? Isn't all the money we have, doesn't it all belong to, to God? Uh, therefore, isn't he owed a portion of what's been entrusted to us? 
This is just practical. Hey, you've heard of this passage, have you not? Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man, strong language here, rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? The whole notion is crazy. How have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. Very, very strong language. And I think it's wonderful that we're here together. So uh, great that you've come. And I would overstep my ground if I hurt anyone unduly, criticized anyone unduly. So please don't take it in that sense. But... Um, I've been informed in discussions with people who know better that a number of people in churches, including ours, this is a little bit of a surprise to me, um, give nothing to the Lord's work. N nothing. This is, it's perplexing to me. Uh, and it's sad, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I used to feel bad when I was a kid if I didn't get invited to, to a party. <laughs> You're missing out on a party. Let me illustrate. On this past Sunday, our pastor announced what had been so wonderfully provided by the Lord through his people with reference to, we call it the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Sadly, many people don't know who Lottie Moon is. You should go home, Google Lottie Moon. And this small lady, you'll find out, was a giant in the faith. This is the Christmas offering. Southern Baptist churches uh, uh, all over the country and world take this time to contribute to the sustenance of our missionary force, which is maybe the strongest uh, Great Commission resource we Southern Baptists have, our missionaries. So the pastor announced, and I'm really bad with numbers, but, and uh, he, he, I think he'll share more precisely, but something like in the history of our church, um, the previous largest Christmas offering, I bet I'm botching this, but I think, I think he said was $320,000, which is wonderful. But this one far exceeds it. I'll leave it to the pastor to give numbers if he so chooses. But here's my point. When the pastor made that announcement, you, you could just feel the celebratory atmosphere in the sanctuary. Uh, but I thought... But what if you didn't participate? Oh, you didn't lose your salvation. Because <laughs> you, you didn't earn it if you did participate. Uh, uh, the Savior saves freely. Um, and, and God doesn't dislike you. and you, He loves you and all the rest. But I, I think you missed out on, perhaps on a God-given opportunity to be invited to the party. It surely can't be that God needs our money. <laughs> That's not the point of giving. Oh, God, let me help you out. <sighs> our Father is so good and wants us to have the joy of giving. I remember when my boys were young, before we came to church, we would give them some quarters to, um, to give to the Lord. I could have put it in the box or a plate, whatever the means was, for them, <laughs> It wasn't their money. It was their dad's money. I wanted to put it in their hand so that with their little hand, they could give it to God and be invited to the party, the joyous experience of participating in a regular giving program. Folks, it's, um, it's overwhelming to have found out today in one of our meetings, I, I, I didn't know this, so many of our people have, are not in, they're not 
They haven't been invited to the party, but you've excluded yourself by not. By, can I encourage you to do this in 2016? Remember, I think you prayed earlier, oh God, I resolved uh, to do everything I do to your glory. Would you start, would you consider starting a regular giving program? Regular, not haphazard. Regular, regular. And see God bless. We don't pay for, we don't buy blessings. That's not the point. By definition, there's blessing in giving. God says this. He doesn't want anyone to. So can I encourage you to start a regular, a regular giving program? And it occurred to me, I don't know, maybe a lot of people don't know this. I had the benefit of being wonderfully discipled as a new Christian. So I was taught it's the local church that is the principal recipient of our giving. It doesn't have to only be the local church, but the priority resource has to be the local church from whom all other kinds of things happen, ministries at home and abroad. The local church is like the mothership, so to speak, for ministry. And I often think, why would a person want to be a member of a church and not, pardon the uh, pun, buy into it wholeheartedly? If a person is not enthused about the program of the church or doesn't trust the leadership of the church to disseminate its funds with good biblical stewardship, why would one want to be a member of that church? I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And if one says, well, the reason I go to that church is because I, I, I love the ministry to me personally, wonderful worship, talented Musicians, the likes of which we just saw earlier. Bible studies, programs for my children, all the rest. Could I make you feel a little bit bad? Don't you feel bad only being on the receiving end? That can't make you feel good on the inside. Don't you feel bad only taking I know this sounds like a rebuke. I don't mean it that way. It's an invitation to join the party. I thank God when I was a new Christian, I went to a small little church outside a military base. And we were taught principles of giving there. And the first opportunity I had to, to give uh, to that church, it was wonderful. They invited in a missionary one time receiving support from the church. This missionary couple were in the foreign land, thousands of miles away, I've never been there, called Australia. Kangaroos and boomerangs and all. I knew nothing of it. But then there were, in the flesh, this couple who this church helped support. And I was a member of that church. And I had an opportunity. I don't remember what the percentage of my giving was. Please don't get hung up with that. I always find out a wiser thing to do instead of wrangling over percentages is to just get started with the giving program. I find it to be addicting in a good way. Some addictions ought to be overcome. The addiction, the habitual practice of giving ought to be cultivated. So you try a little bit. Don't disqualify yourself. Well, I'm, I'm not ready for 10%. Okay. What about 1%? Why don't you test God out? And see if he doesn't bless and satisfy and fill your heart. And make you feel a part, not a spectator, a part of what's, of what's going on. So folks, I read these verses and I think, oh God, I hope we, we ought to have 100% percent 
participation in giving by our members. It's vital. 100% of our members ought to be in Bible study, praying, worshiping, and giving. It's one of the core values and fundamentals of the faith without which you can't be blessed, you can't be satisfied, you can't be, you can't be apart. So God says, don't do that. Don't rob me and don't rob yourself of an opportunity uh, to do this. Now, I want to transition just for a second. That's enough of a, that's kind of a lecture, wasn't it? Yeah, I apologize, but uh, sort of, but I'm grateful for the people who, who said, Stuart, it's more blessed to give than receive. Uh, my giving program is not what I want it to be, but it's a whole lot better than when I started. I started slow, and then you, you, you sort of develop an appetite. You see what I mean? So let me encourage you. In 2006, forget about what's happened. The past is the past. Why don't you resolve to bring glory to Almighty God by starting a regular giving program? So uh, now let's transition. I want to tell you this. The text is essentially saying us we are to know, uh, owe no financial debt to anyone. Yet there is one debt we are to owe irreversibly to everyone. Can you guess what it is? What is the debt we should always be paying but never be free of? Anyone have any idea? Hey, that's exactly right. The obligation to love. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe nothing. That's what it says. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. So all debts of every kind are to be paid until they're paid off entirely. And yet there is this one exception. It is the debt of love. Love is the only debt that is to remain forever unpaid. It's a debt to be owed unendingly. This debt is one we must always be paying and yet always owing. In other words, we can never say... Uh, I've done all the loving <laughs> I'm required to do. We can never do that. Absolutely not. In fact, whenever we come upon someone, this has really haunted me. I, I'm, I'm working on this. You ought to also. Whenever we run into someone in the course of our uh, journey in 2016, we ought to be saying to ourselves, I owe this person. Because whoever you're next to is your neighbor. Whoever you're standing next to, whoever you're seated next to, we ought to be saying of that person, I owe this person a debt. I must show this person the love of Christ. I owe that to that person. Think about it. It's sort of revolutionary because I've gotten, as you have, distracted by stuff, the stress of life. So most of the time, uh, not most, often when I run into someone, I'm a little more prone maybe to be uninterested, uh, disgusted, <laughs> bothered, uh, who knows what. This text is telling me you owe every person you run into the debt, the obligation of love. And if you have ever owed someone a debt, you know this is true, the first thing you think of when you see that person whom you owe, the first thing you think of is, oh my, that's a person I owe. And so that's how we are to see ourselves as Christians. We're to see ourselves as debtors 
owing a debt, a debt of love to absolutely everybody we come in contact with. Don't misunderstand. Love sometimes means a loving rebuke. Sometimes love means setting bounds and saying no. Sometimes love means correcting behavior. I'm not talking about flower child love. I'm talking about what does the person need? It's up to me to lovingly try to deliver the goods, whatever it may be. In fact, the word in Romans 13, 8 for love, this surprised me, is the word agape. It surprises me because that particular word for love, agape, you've heard of it, is almost exclusively in the Bible used of God's love for us. And here, Romans 13, 8 is saying, that's the kind of love I want you to manifest to everyone you come in contact with. In other words, unconditional love that has nothing to do with the lovability or lack thereof, of the recipient of the love. See, that's how God loves us. In spite, it's an in spite of love. This exhortation is for that. You are to love in spite of the potential recipient of your love. That's a tough one. Because usually the way life has trained us is, I will love you if, if you're inviting, if you're lovable. Particularly if you're nice to me. I understand that. But the biblical, this is countercultural. You see what I mean? And if we're intent on doing all that we do in 2016 for the glory of God, then we have to embrace the biblical culture, which says, no, 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 it's agape love. And our obligation to pay the debt of love has nothing to do with the lovability, even likability, of the one whom we are supposed to love. It is primarily this kind of love, a matter of the will rather than of the emotions. So you might be asking, that's easy to say, but how, how can I love others who I really don't even like? <laughs> Fortunately, there's no commandment in the Bible that says thou shalt like one another. Isn't that good? You know, God doesn't command us things that we're not capable of doing. So if you happen to like someone, that's icing on the cake. But it's irrelevant. It's not an essential matter. The exhortation is, I want you to show love to people even if you don't like them. But how can we do it, really? How can we pay that debt? Well, we can't on our own. So we really need a change of heart, don't we? At first, we need our hearts to be open uh, to and filled up with the love of God. And then in the overflow, we love others. I memorized, I bet you know this passage, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 for the new year. The Lord's loving kindness says, plural, indeed, never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord's loving kindnesses never cease. So the first prerequisite for being able to love others is to be filled up with the love of God. Let me encourage you to memorize Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Regardless of what happened in your yesterday, what you did right or wrong, you wake up in the morning and you say, Oh God, I'm ready to be a recipient of your new loves, new loves every morning, even matched up against our unloveliness. And then when you experience, when you allow God to love on you unconditionally, because that's the way he is, in the overflow, you have a reserve with which to love others. 
But I want to ask you this question, this debt of love, love one another. How did we incur that debt? Well, the debt of love owed to another is not necessarily owed to another because that other has done anything good for us. Nope. The debt owed to others is because of what Christ has done for us. But then you say, wait a second. If I'm to respond to what Christ has done for me, then why am I paying the debt of love to others? Don't I owe God a debt? Shouldn't I pay him back? And the answer is no. We should not try to pay God back for his love freely showed to us. We should not see it as a debt that could be repaid, and I'll tell you why. Because then his gracious love, freely manifested and bestowed, would be something we think we earned and pay for. And then it's no longer grace. <laughs> you don't pay back God's love by thinking you're indebted to do so. You know what you do? You thank him. You say, oh, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And the way to show appreciation and gratitude for God's love freely bestowed, which he doesn't expect for us to pay back, the way to show gratitude is to love on others for whom Jesus died. That's how. That's how. So this is really helpful to me. I hope to you. Uh, helpful to you. So when I see someone I don't particularly like, that happened already tonight a few times. But I remembered Romans 13, 8, how I owe even that person this debt of love. I go through this gyration. Why? What did that person ever do for me? Ah, it's not about that person. What did this Savior do for me? <gasps> New loves every morning. An inexpressible gift of sins forgiven by a crucified lamb and resurrected lamb. It's because of what he did for me. Now I'm obligated to say thank you to him. I don't pay back the debt. I say thank you to him by loving on others to whom he's given life and wants to give life anew for the second time. So the commandment to love one another is our way of expressing gratitude to Almighty God who has loved us inexpressibly, unconditionally, and freely. So here's the point, folks. Uh, these two verses in Proverbs... I hope have gotten us off to a little bit of a kickstart in this new year. They've told us of one way in which we can really bring more glory to Almighty God in this new year. It is simple. We are not to be slow <laughs> to pay what we owe. Can you say that one more time? We are not to be slow to pay what we owe. Financial obligation? Absolutely. A verbal commitments? All the right. We're not to be slow to pay what we owe. In other words... Christians have no business behaving in the same manner <laughs> as those who don't know the Christ. Let me close with this uh, crazy story. True. It's a true story. But it's nuts that these things happen. A lady claiming to be a Christian visited a seafood restaurant in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Did you, did you hear about Maybe you'll this just happened. She visited the seafood restaurant, this lady, Myrtle Beach, uh, South Carolina, prayed before her meal and all the rest. Then she started to cause some kind of crazy disturbance to the extent that uh, the manager came and said, you need to pay your, your bill and leave immediately. Her tab was $26 for the food that she consumed. She refused to pay for it, so the manager had to call the police. 
And they were called in, and when they confronted her, uh, she told them she, she had no money on her. And they said, well, how in the world did you expect to, to pay for the food you just ordered and consumed? She said, oh, my Jesus will take care of my bill. Come on, guys. Come on. That doesn't glorify God. That doesn't represent him well. My Jesus will provide us with all that we need, not everything we want, all that we need in order to represent him well in 2016, in order to provide, be provided for, in order to participate in a regular giving program to the local church we are receiving from. Yeah, Jesus will take care of all those things. He will not ever command us to do something he doesn't supply us to do. That would be contrary to his nature. You see what I mean? I can't take advantage of the system because of my identification with Christ. I can't take advantage of fellow Christians because of my identification with Christ. Because of my identification with Christ, I want to take the high road. I want to be the big tip giver at that seafood restaurant in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Have you heard this? Wait staff who say they dread the Sunday lunch crowd because they leave a tract and no tip. I'll tell you what happened to that gospel tract. Come on, guys. The high road. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, cannot be outgiven. Have you discovered that? Have you figured that out? Maybe in 2016, you'll make note of episodes in which uh, God has blessed and rewarded you financially as a result of your faithful giving. Maybe you'd be willing to share it with the rest of us because we sort of need to get on fire in that regard. Because wouldn't it be great if 100% of our regular membership were involved in a regular, in a regular giving? We're not cutting corners. We're not looking for a free ride. Freely. You have received freely, not under obligation, out of joy and desire, freely, freely give. So, one way to glorify God in 2016, <laughs> be quick to pay what you owe. Repay the debt, financial and otherwise, owed, especially the debt of love owed to everybody. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for setting the pace for us, if we're looking for ways to apply these biblical principles, we need not look any further than you, the perfect one who in the form of man lived the way all of us are to live. You are holy and therefore desire us to be holy. You immersed yourself in the culture because you, well, you weren't repulsed by it. You love people, wanted to embrace even marginalized people, and yet you were remained uncorrupted by it. That's our desire, oh God, to be salt and light, glorify you in this new year. Do things biblically, counterculturally. Help us, oh God, to fulfill our debts in a timely way. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you folks. Hope you have a meaningful, more faithful 2016.